What is your view of yourself? What's your image of yourself? Are you basically a good person, but who sometimes gets tripped up by things on the outside that lead you astray? Are you a good person, but sometimes pressures and circumstances mean that you make mistakes and get things wrong, but basically on the inside, you're a good person? In other words, is the human problem outside in, or is it inside out? What do I mean by that? Does the problem come or does it come from the inside and get out of us? Jesus answered this clearly and bluntly in Mark chapter 7. Let's turn back to Mark 7, verses 1 to 23. Jesus answered clearly, are we outside in people or inside out people? Where does the problem come from? Mark chapter 7, verses 23. We're going to go through this in three sections. Let's get straight into it. The section is self one to five, self-improvement programs. First one, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered round Jesus. By the way, the Pharisees were religious people at the time. Then they're the religious leaders. They're the serious ones. And first one says they gathered round Jesus. What does that sound like to you? They gathered round Jesus, good or bad? How does that sound to you, that description? The Pharisees gathered round Jesus. What are you picturing in your mind at the moment? Well, the word gathered there is the word synagogue. That, that might shape your thinking. It's the word synagogue. It's a word that was used for a church meeting together. It means meeting together in a synagogue-like way. A church is a gathering round Jesus. This is exactly what we should be doing now. I hope that's our view of church. We are people meeting with Jesus in the middle. We've come to gather around him and worship him. The Pharisees gathered round Jesus. That's exactly what we are supposed to do. It's a good thing. But when I said, how do you picture it? Did you picture it as good or bad? Because when I first read that verse, oh, it sounds a little threatening, a little hostile, a little like ganging up. If you know what the Pharisees were like, if you know their heart attitude, which was very much anti-Jesus. Especially if you know Old Testament prophecies that said when God sent the Saviour, his enemies would gather round him. And they are described, children, have you watched any of those nature programmes? They're described like a pack of wild dogs circling their prey. And when you've read that prophecy, verse 1 sounds rather like that pack of wild dogs. The religious leaders looked right, they synagogued, they gathered round Jesus. But when you know their hearts, there's something very different and very wrong here. And in that, verse 1 has started to tell us the problem, has started to hint at the subject of the passage. People who do what looks right on the outside, but there's something very wrong on the inside. 
Let's move on from verse 1. They gathered and saw, verse 2, some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. They gathered round, but not to worship Jesus, not as a synagogue or a church, to be united around him, but to look for a fault. That's why they're gathering around. That's why they've turned up, to look for a fault. And they quickly found one. They noticed Jesus' disciples eating. And they noticed that they hadn't washed their hands before eating, and they objected to this. Now, very important for us in 21st century Britain to realise this is not about hygiene. It is not about hand sanitisation or germs, let alone COVID. That's not what they're talking about. They had a tradition and a rule. These washings that you had to do before you eat so you are clean, not in the doctor's sight, but in God's sight. And so they've got two problems with Jesus. And it's really Jesus they're getting at, not the disciples. Jesus, you're supposed to be a good religious man. And look at this. Your disciples don't keep the traditions of the elders and they are unclean. Unclean in God's sight. Now, we need to think about this. What is the attitude behind their concern? What is their approach to life that causes them to be bothered about people eating with unwashed hands? Their attitude is uncleanness is outside in. The problem is out there and we've got to stop it getting in here to us. And so they washed lots of things. Mark, because he's writing for non-Jewish people who might not get this, like us, he explains in verse 3 and 4. They washed cups and jugs and kettles. And you might have a footnote that tells us that they maybe even washed dining couches. Now, again, the, the point is not whether you should wash your dirty dishes after lunch today. Yeah, Please wash them before you give them to your next lot of visitors. Uh, that's not the issue here. In fact, that's shown up by verse 4. It says they baptise them. That's interesting. Before having dinner, baptise your dining couch. That's, that's an interesting one. Um, in other words, baptise is being used here to mean a ritual washing, a ceremony. Their attitude is the way to be clean and right with God himself is to control what comes into you. So let's wash everything so we don't get any dirt coming into us. Now, the Pharisees' approach might probably does seem rather strange to us. I doubt any of you baptise your kitchen chairs before you have dinner. However you might think baptising ought to be done. Wash your hands because a little dirt, if it gets into you, might make you wrong in your relationship with God. Probably sounds really foreign to us. But we have our own versions. We have our own versions because we live in a society that thinks we are basically good. And so when we go wrong, it's because something on the outside of us has got in and influenced us. A pressure, a circumstance, a bad influence. It must be that because we're basically good. That's what our society believes, and it's almost impossible for us not to be influenced by that. And so we tend to think the problem is outside in. 
I'd be a better person if I had a different manager at work, if I had a different income, if I had a different job, if I had different people in my life. If I didn't have this medical problem, I'd be a better person because look at the pressures it puts on me. Because that looks manageable to us. We can change those outside things, so we put the emphasis there, and that will make me a better person. Children, do you ever watch Bob the Builder? Probably not. You're too old for it now, aren't you, probably? But you probably have done in the past, watched Bob the Builder. What is the phrase that keeps coming up in Bob the Builder? What does he say? Bob the Builder, can he fix it? Yes, he can. We can fix it. And we want to believe we can fix it. We have a we can fix it attitude. And we'd like a we can fix it religion. And if the problem's on the outside, we think, yes, we can fix it. We want a Bob the Builder religion. Now, it's interesting, these people who are we can fix it people, who are the problems out there people, but we're basically good in here, it's interesting they're fault finding. Verse 1 and 2, they gather around Jesus, not to worship him, to find a fault. We've already seen this in Mark. You you may or may not remember Mark chapter 3, verse 2, explicitly told us the Pharisees came to find a reason they could accuse Jesus of something. They want to find fault. When we think we are basically good and the problem's out there, when we think we can fix it, It often leads to finding fault with other people as a way of defending ourselves and our self-image, we are good. Sun Tzu, sorry Chinese people, I'm almost certainly pronounced his name wrongly because I don't know how to pronounce his name. I just read it in Wikipedia. Sun Tzu apparently was, you, you can tell me about him afterwards, by the way, if you know about him and correct me. He was a Chinese military leader many, many centuries ago, a famous strategist and famous for various phrases he had. And it's reckoned this fa- phrase possibly came from him. Attack is the best form of defense. We've probably all heard that, even if we've never heard of Sun Tzu. Attack is the best form of defence, and attacks on others are often a way of defending our self-image. If your confidence is, I'm a good person because I go to the right sort of church, well then you need to find fault with the people who go to a different sort of church. If your confidence is, I'm a good person because of these good causes I'm involved in, then you need to find fault with people who aren't even interested in your causes and don't think they matter much. If you tend to look for fault in others, if you like it when you find fault with others, oh, be so careful. That is such a bad sign that you're a person who thinks you're basically good. You've got a Bob the Builder, I can fix it attitude. And you're being defensive by attacking others. The Christian gospel is radically different from this. Radically different. Because it's admitting I am not good. The problem is in here. I need Jesus to forgive and change that. Christianity is being a beggar. A beggar going to Jesus for what you need. And it is so silly. 
and so inappropriate for one beggar to look down on another beggar. I'm superior to that beggar. I'm better than that beggar. How inappropriate and how silly. Because we don't beg from Jesus on the basis of I'm better, but on the basis of you are so generous. There was the first section, self-improvement programs, verses 1 to 5. But next section is self-delusion programs, verses 6 to 13. Verses 6 to 13. Jesus goes on the counter-attack. Not that he has anything to be defensive about. And he's very blunt with these religious leaders to their face. Notice, not behind their back. That's really important, to their face. And he says, your self-improvement programs are actually self-delusion programs. That's so often the way self-improvement programs become self-delusion programs. Let's see what he says, verse 6. Verse 6, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Wow, he's blunt. Hypocrites. The word hypocrite came from someone acting in a show, a play, a theatre. That's where the word comes from. In other words, you are putting on an unreal show. The things they said sounded good about God, sounded like they cared about God, but in their hearts, now, now, you don't care at all about God, you just care about yourself. That's what he's saying to them, to their face. Notice again, not behind their back. Don't say that about people behind their back. Jesus said it to their face. Now, they care about their, their apparent care about cleanness. There's something good there, if they really did, because God is holy and he is separate from all that is unclean and sinful. And, and so all their talk sounds like they care about God. They want to be close to God. And he says, yeah, your talk sounds like that, but your heart is a million miles away. It's all just a show. Wow. Just a show. Words that don't reflect the heart. Um, a little experience of this on a very different scale. Once we as a family were around a relative's house and she had, her daughter was I suppose about five or six then. And we're having dinner and she said, thanks for the lovely food, mummy. Oh, lovely food. And we all laughed at her. Why did we laugh at her? Because her, her face said disgusting food. Oh dear. I'm having a job to eat this. But her words said, lovely food, mummy, thank you. But we could all see that, that she didn't mean it at all. Her words didn't match what she clearly thought. And being a child, she wasn't as good as adults at disguising it. How far more serious than when our words about God don't match what we really think about him. When we put on a show of loving him, but we don't really care about him. When we say the words that will impress other Christians, or when maybe even our prayers in the prayer meeting sound so earnest for God's glory, but at heart, we don't really care about God's glory. How serious. Jesus would have his blunt words for you, if that is you. 
You see, Jesus is full of welcome for weak people. Are you here today feeling your weakness? Jesus is full of welcome for failing people. Are you here today aware that you keep on failing? Jesus is full of welcome for falling for temptation people. Have you fallen for it again and again and again? He still says welcome. But hypocrisy, putting on a show, being false and sticking with it. Because you only really care what other people think about you. That is a different matter. We should dread hypocrisy. We should dread being false. It's a very different matter from being weak, failing and falling. There's a welcome for you then. But hypocrisy, there's a warning for you there. You must turn from it urgently. And you know, even religious rules can sometimes be used to make this show. That's the point of verses 7 to 13. Verses 7 to 13, Jesus is saying, you even, even these rules you're talking about, they're really just part of the cover-up. Covering up that you're actually far from God. And he gives an example in verse 10 onwards. Now this example seems a bit strange to us. I'll try to explain it. God says, honour your father and mother. Commandment number five. In that culture, when there were no pensions and no welfare state, honouring your father and mother would include supporting them when they're too old to work, when they can't make enough money. In other words, you give them money and, and financially help them. But the Pharisees had a scheme. You could count your money as devoted to God. They called it Corban. Their word for your money is devoted to God. It's in the system where it's devoted to God. And then you don't have to give it to your parents because it's been devoted to God. In fact, you're not allowed to give it to your parents because that would be breaking your vow and you vowed to devote it to God. And, and in a bizarre twist that I don't understand, devoted to God didn't actually mean you gave it to the temple. You actually still could, in some circumstances, spend it on yourself. Don't know how they got away with that one, but that was the scheme. It was a bit like this. No, I can't help my elderly parents because I'm going off on a missionary trip. I'm doing missionary work for God. So I can't help my elderly parents. Um, But I won't let on. The missionary trip is actually lying on a beach in the Bahamas. It's a bit like that. Now, this Corban, it, it sounds to us absolutely ridiculous and very strange. But we can have our own versions. It's interesting Jesus picks money giving. In the Gospels, he often picks money giving to expose what we're like. It is possible to give money generously so we feel we're good people and we can turn a blind eye to that sin that we're not giving up, we're refusing to let go of. It's possible. We have to look at what's our motive for our generosity. Or here's another example. It's a very specific one, but you might be able to think about how it can apply to us. A friend of mine lived in Reading. And he went to church in Salisbury. Now, if you know your geography, Salisbury is not next door to Reading. Why didn't he go to church in Salisbury? None of the churches in Reading were good enough. Because the people didn't dress smartly enough. They didn't sing the right sort of songs. And the women didn't wear skirts and hats. And they jolly well ought to when they go to church. So he went to church in Salisbury. But this friend of mine, I'd been increasingly suspecting he was actually far from God. And it was rather confirmed when he moved in with a girl that he met in a nightclub. Now, if it wasn't so sad, it'd be laughable. 
I must go to a church where the girls wear skirts and hats, but I'm moving in with a girl I met at a nightclub. You know, you'd laugh if it wasn't sad. It's easy to keep outward rules and to put on a show, and it makes us feel better than people in the churches in Reading or whatever your equivalent might be, while our hearts are far from God. Outward rules can be an easy cover-up for inward problems. So please, please do not be satisfied with keeping up appearances. Do not be satisfied with an outward show. Which matters more to you? What other people see of you or how you are when it's just you and God? You see, the test of real Christianity isn't you at church or you at the prayer meeting It's you when no one else is around and it's just you and God. How real is your Christianity then? Third section, self-awareness program. Sorry, just got attacked by some insect. Self-awareness program, verses 14 to 23. Now, Jesus had been speaking directly to the religious leaders, but but now he turns to the crowd and he explains what he means. Verse 14 onwards. He explains what he means. And really, we've heard it already, so we can be fairly brief here. What he means is this. First of all, the problem is not from the outside. Verse 14 to 19. He says the problem is not from the outside. He says, now these religious leaders, they think they can keep themselves clean by being careful what they eat. Now, children, where does your food go when you eat? Down some sort of funny pipe, doesn't it? To your stomach and then out the other end, which children find quite amusing. But it doesn't go to your heart, does it? I don't think any heart surgeon has ever had to extract a bit of swallowed sweet corn from a heart valve. Because I think it's impossible for the swallowed sweet corn to get to your heart, isn't it? Still less to get to what the Bible means by heart, which is your will, how you make decisions, and your thoughts that are behind those decisions, and your attitudes that are behind those thoughts. That's your heart. Well, your sweet corn doesn't get there. That's kind of obvious to us. But Jesus is saying the problem doesn't come from the outside in, It comes from the inside out. Now, we mustn't push this beyond what Jesus is saying. He's not making a medical comment about food hygiene. You know, it's all going to come out of you in the end, so don't bother about what you eat. He's not saying that. And he's not saying, watch the next James Bond film. Because looking at sex and violence doesn't really matter in the end. It's all a matter of your heart. No, no, no. Because of the sin inside, be careful what you take in that can inflame and arouse that sin. What comes in through your eyes can arouse the sin in your heart. So be careful. But the problem doesn't originate out there. It originates in here. And we won't put it right by changing our circumstances. Children, I hope you're listening. A little story for you. George Muller was a greedy young man, greedy for money, always grabbing money. In fact, he stole money, including from his parents, who could not afford it. And why? Because he was a gambler. He gambled and he gambled and he was addicted to gambling. 
And even while his mother lay dying in one room, he was gambling with his friends in another room in the same house. What a greedy, bad man. And his gambling friends were a bad influence on him. And he knew this was really wrecking him. So he thought he'd move to a different town and get away from them. And his biographer, the person who wrote his life story, has got this great line. The problem continued because although he left his friends behind, he took himself with him. And that's the problem. He took himself with him. So Jesus next says, verse 20 to 23, the problem comes from the inside. And there's a grim list here, verse 21, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. Wow, what a grim list. And the point isn't really how grim it is. The point is, because nobody back then disagreed it's grim. The point was they come from the inside. Just like when you knock a cup cup over, water will only come out if there was water inside. An orange juice will come out if there's orange juice inside. And nothing will come out if there's nothing inside. These wouldn't spill out of us if they weren't in us. And so Jesus gives this grim list, and it's grim because it says that's what the human heart is like inside. And yet although it's grim... And this is a passage full of warning. There is good news here. I think this is really good news. That Jesus knew that that's what we were like. And yet he still came. You thought of that? Jesus was not like a well-meaning person who who goes to help these, these lovely children who will appreciate and help my need and then finds out they're right scoundrels. No. He knew full well what we're like, and he still came. Jesus knew his people's problem went to their hearts, but he still went to the cross for them. Jesus knew the Bob the Builder, I can fix it attitude won't work, so he came to give the heart surgery we need. Back to George Muller. Children, the story of George Muller hasn't finished, thankfully, because later in life, He became an amazingly generous man. He devoted his life to caring for orphans in Bristol and built loads of uh, orphanages for them. He gave all his money to caring for the poor. And then when he'd retired, he didn't really retire because he travelled the world telling the gospel. What had happened to him? A change from the inside out. His problem was deep inside, but it wasn't hopeless. Because Jesus can change us from the inside out. The Bible describes this as a new heart or a new birth or God writing his law on our hearts. So it's not just out there telling us what to do, but it's in here motivating us. It calls it putting his spirit in us. It's all about change from the inside out. And all of this is what Jesus came to give us. So don't be satisfied with appearances. Don't be content with as long as other people think you're good and the show's looking good. What are you like when it's just you and God? Will you be brave enough to pray Psalm 139? This prayer, search me, O God, 
and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. But that, that, that could be a difficult thing to pray. What is God going to show up? But then it says, and lead me in the way everlasting. Will you be brave enough to pray that prayer? And in some ways you don't need to be brave because you're coming to a good God. Not a God who's fault-finding like the Pharisees and just hoping he can find something wrong with you and damn you forever. No. But a God who wants you to come like that because he's ready to give the heart surgery you need. And he sent his son so you could pray, create in me a clean heart, oh my God. Renew a right spirit within me. In fact, fill me with your spirit. Let's pray for that now.